Welcome, Kingsway Online, and uh, grateful, as always, to have you join us uh, for this time together of just getting into his word, seeing what he may have to say to us, but also what his desire is to do in us, and grateful for our team uh, helping to put this together. Thanks to Chris and CPAN. You guys rock. So we're going to jump right in. Last week, we had uh, a chance just to talk about renovating our minds. If you remember, we talked about where Paul wrote to the Romans, not to be conformed to this world, not to not to conform our lives to the the way our world thinks, the way they act, the way they believe, uh, because there's something better, something higher than that. And Paul reminds Jesus' followers that there's this, uh, there's this ability, even this sometimes desire or probability in our lives to conform to what is going on around us. But he's, God's desire for your life and for mine is that we would be transformed. And the way we're transformed, the way we become completely new is that um, our, our minds are renewed or renovated, that we would set our minds on the things of the Spirit. And so uh, I wanted to, uh, I started off last, um, last week just talking about, you know, reading through Revelation and, and how I want to talk about what, what Christ was saying to the churches. And uh, we're getting there. We're going to jump into that uh, a little bit tonight. Uh, and over the next couple of uh, weeks as well. But you know, I know like people read Revelation for different reasons, especially in d- times of uncertainty. Uh, you know, reading through Revelation, some are like, oh, you know, there's that meme of people reading through Revelation trying to find out when Trump's going to come back into office. Or, you know, there's others who are reading to know, like, is the vaccine the mark of the beast? It's got to be in there somewhere, or whatever it might be. And, and, but there's this thing that for myself, just reading, that I want to know the voice of God. I want to know the voice of Jesus. And, and much of the, the early part of, of Revelation is his voice, is his words to the church and to the churches. So John is the, was an eyewitness follower of Jesus. He happens to be on an island called Patmos at the time where he writes this letter. And uh, as he's there, he has a vision of Jesus. And you can read about it in Revelation chapter 1. But his, his, uh, the revealing of Jesus to him blows his mind. He's like, he's so magnificent. He's so powerful. It says uh, he hit the ground as if he was dead. And, and I just like it because it's like Jesus comes up to him and just t- taps him. It's like, get up. Get up and don't be afraid. Get up. I have some stuff that I want you to write down. Write down everything you see and everything you have seen and you're about to see. And before we get there, he says, let me, I got a message for some churches. I got a message for seven churches and I want you to write this down. Seven specific churches is who he's writing to. And he says to John, I want you to write to them. And here's what I want you to, I want you to say to them. And as we read this now, you know, nearly 2,000 years later, uh, as we read through it, it's, it's tempting for us to read into it as if it was written to us, but it's not written to us specifically. There's nothing in there that, you know, that we can read into it that, they, that wasn't written to them. It, it can't mean something to me that it didn't mean for those Jesus followers sitting in um, those cities of Pergamum, Thyatira, Philadelphia, Ephesus, Laodicea. It, it, uh, it, it has specific meaning for them. However, that being said, there's, there's certain things we can learn from it uh, and learn from the message that Jesus gave to the churches then because his message to his disciples was one where he said, what I've commanded you, carry that on. Send that on to the next group of disciples. Hebrews chapter 13 verse 8 just reminds us that Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's not going to say one thing then and change his mind now and say something different. He's the same. He remains the same. I like how Peter quotes, uh, Peter was a New Testament writer. He actually quotes Isaiah, who was an Old Testament writer. So you got from both portions of scripture, he says this in 1 Peter 1 verse 24, he says, the scriptures say people are like, the, um, are like grass and their beauty is fading. Um, but he says, uh, the word of the Lord remains forever. 
You know, we know that Jesus is Lord and, and his word, his words uh, written down in Revelation, that they, they were meant to last forever. They had power for those who first heard him and read them then. And they have, they have messages and, and things for us today as well. And so I want to wanna jump in there. Uh, we're looking at Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3. I'd encourage you to actually go um, take some time later and just read through the whole chapters yourself. Just, just pouring over what, what Jesus was saying to these churches. We're going to look at it more in the next couple of weeks, but... There's two specific statements that Jesus makes to all of the churches. In each of his addresses to each of the, the individual churches, he writes something that, as we see, it's written to all of them. It was not just individual, but corporate. And here they are. Revelation chapter 2, verse 7 is where he first mentions it, but he mentions it again in verse 11, verse 17, verse 29, Revelation 3, verse 6, 13, and 22. He says this, anyone with ears to hear, anyone, Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. Anyone, anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. And then the second thing that he says to each and every single one of them, you can find it in verse uh, 2, verse 7, and 11, 17, 26. You can find it in 3, verse 5, 12, and 21. It's this statement, and it varies in, its, um, in what follows it, but he says this, whoever, whoever is victorious. Some translations, it's like whoever overcomes. Uh, we know that we learned tonight that some translations say who uh, is victorious, but it's this, this, these two words that anyone and whoever and, and in this letter, anyone and whoever are both inclusive and exclusive. And I don't know if you, if you catch on that right away, but they're inclusive in the fact that Jesus writes to anyone who's reading this. Not just those churches, not just, not just to the people in, in the one church of Ephesus. He's, he's like, hey, I wrote it to them, but anyone who hears this, let them listen for what the Spirit's saying to the churches. And anyone who has ears to hear this, what I'm saying to Sardis, let him listen uh, to the Spirit and understand what he's saying to the churches. So he's like, anyone who's got ears to hear has the opportunity to hear and understand. Which also presupposes that it's exclusive as well, is that there's going to be people that have ears to hear that do not hear and do not understand. But the call is for anyone. And so I'm an anyone, you're an anyone, uh, listening in, watching today. And then, you know, he, he, he talks about the same thing with the word um, whoever, and we'll, we'll get to that in a minute. But he talks about this, this group of people in, in this anyone category. They, there's something significant about them. They have ears to hear but he says they also hear. They, they, they have the ability to comprehend, but they also do comprehend. They don't just hear, but they actually understand what the Spirit is saying. And, and that, that was a common phrase. That wasn't brand new. Uh, the prophets in the Old Testament, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they all wrote about people like this, who had ears to hear, but couldn't hear, who had eyes to see, but they couldn't see. And, and Jesus actually, he would quote some of this and he even, he even addressed it in his own day and, uh, with the disciples. And the disciples once, well, they were asking him, why do you use parables to teach people all the time? Like, why are you always telling these stories? Uh, these these stories, we like them, but why, why do you tell stories all the time? And, and Matthew actually writes down Jesus' response to them. And, and we'll just, if you have your Bible, go to Matthew 13. You'll probably see these uh, words written in red, which are the, the words of Jesus. And here's, here's what Jesus says. He replies to them, you, you, my disciples, you are permitted to understand the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but others are not. Verse 12, to those who listen to my teaching, <clears throat> excuse me, more understanding will be given and they will have an abundance of knowledge. But those, for those who are not listening, 
Even what little understanding they have will be taken away from them. And if you just understand the context here. These people had heard. They heard with their ears the parables that Jesus was saying. He's like, but they're not listening. They're not understanding. He's like, you've been given the opportunity, the ability to understand, but, but they, they, they haven't understood. And verse 13 says, so that's actually why I use parables. He says, for they look, but they don't really see. They hear, but they don't really listen or understand. Verse 14, he says, this actually fulfills the prophecy of what Isaiah said. When you hear what I say, you'll not understand. And when you see what I do, you will not comprehend. Jesus is saying in his day and age, it was just like back in the, you know, hundreds of years previously where the prophets had said, there's people who hear with their ear, but they don't understand. They see with their eyes. They have eyes that can see, but they, they, they don't see. And, you know, at first glance with this thing, and if Matthew is our only gospel that we had, you would think that those disciples had some special privilege, some special knowledge that maybe Jesus just gifted them with this superpower that they could understand what Jesus was saying, but nobody else could. But we find that, that there's another guy named Mark, who is a friend of Peter's, who wrote down the eyewitness accounts of what Jesus had done. And he, he describes what happened when, when Jesus had fed this crowd of 4,000 people. And you're like, uh, isn't it 5,000? Yeah, he did both. He fed a crowd of 4,000. And it was after that that they had this, they had this, um, this debate among them. Uh, and so the disciples were arguing about a bunch of things. It says this in Mark chapter 8, verse 16. It says this, as, as uh, Jesus was talking about, beware the leaven of the Pharisees. And at this, they began to argue with each other because they hadn't brought any bread with them. You know, they just fed 4,000 people and then they forgot to take their own lunch back with them. In verse 17, it says this, Jesus knew what they were saying. So he said, why are you guys arguing about having no bread? Like that, the, he's like, that's not what I meant. And he, he, he asked them this question, things that they would have known and heard before. Don't you know or understand even yet? Are your hearts too hard to take it in? Verse 18, he's like, fellas, you got eyes. Can't you see? He's like, you have ears. Can't you hear? Don't you remember anything at all? And then a few verses later, in verse 21, he just simply says, don't you understand yet? He asked them. These very same disciples back then, same idea. Ears to hear, but didn't understand, couldn't hear. Eyes that could see, but they, 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 they didn't see. You know, I think about that, eyes that don't see. And as I was preparing for this, I, some, I began to wonder, well, how, how do we have eyes that uh, can see, but don't see in our day and age? I was, and just three thoughts came to me. I believe that the Holy Spirit's in them. One would be distraction. Distraction is one of the things that we have eyes to see, but we don't see because we're actually looking at the wrong thing. You know, distracted driving. (laughs) You know, we can look at this and be like, yeah, I remember my mom doing stuff like that back in the day. Maybe she might've been in the passenger seat. So I can't incriminate her, but I I can incriminate myself. I remember not uh, a few years ago, got in a car accident. I rear-ended somebody uh, around uh, probably about one o'clock in the afternoon. And and as I had to speak to the police officer, you know, that question, like, (laughs) that question, "How, how did you know? see that that vehicle in front of you in clear daylight how how did you not see and and my you know answer was you know well I wasn't looking out there I was actually looking for my phone on the seat beside me I wasn't texting yet but my plan was to probably you know and that's that that thing of where my eyes were in the wrong place I ended up in an accident I'm fortunate that it wasn't worse than it was my car got totaled but I'm here to tell the story you know that that thing of of, of looking in the wrong place 
is those eyes, you have eyes to see, but you don't see, you're missing something. And I wonder if we do the same thing in our lives. I know in my own life sometimes, it's like my eyes get fixated on things like, like the news or you know, uh, opinion polls or people's opinions or in the spiritual side, it can even be this, your eyes are on devotionals and, and videos of what other people think the, the Bible says. But he's like, you know, the, the eyes that see are the ones that are set on the spirit, the things of the spirit set on his word. That, that we can think, you know, oh, I did my devotional, so I, I'm good. And his is like, no, I want your eyes on my word that I might speak to you from my word, not, not through something else. But we get so easily distracted by things. And that's one question. Do you have eyes that see today? You know, the second is deception. You know, I was thinking about those paintings. You know, I don't see them too often anymore, but those paintings that you could, you know, you gotta, you gotta, they, they have the, I used to have them on the wall. I had books of them when I was a kid. And it's like, you know, you go up there and if you like bend your knees and cross your eyes and head at 27 degrees and stare at the tip of your nose, you might see an astronaut in there um, planting a flower, you know, by the, uh, the Sistine Chapel or something. And, and, you know, if you look in there, you, you like, you missed it. And then, and then I remember like not a while back thinking, you know, one of, I think it was a dentist. It was a medical office, a dentist or a doctor. And I saw something like this and I was, I was looking at it. I'm like, is this one of those pictures? And I was just somebody's painting where they just splattered all kinds of stuff on that. And they call that art now. And I was like, you know, looking forever, but you're never going to see it. But that's the thought, like when I say deception is that what you see here, there's something behind that. And unless you're looking real close, you don't see you don't see it. You know, my, my heart, my burden right now is that I believe that's happening in, around us all the time right now. Is that we have eyes that see what's happening around us, but we don't see what's really happening around us. That we don't, we don't see what's really going on. And I would question, you know, I'm not going to get political, but I would ask you, have you considered about the, the, this new passport that's coming out? Have you considered the implications? Have you seen what, what the possibilities of that thing are? You know, people are going to embrace that and it's like, oh yeah, sweet, it's easy. I can just show it and I can go into a restaurant. I can go into somewhere else. Have you considered the fact that if you're going to use that, that that passport will be invalid if you choose not to take a third booster shot or a fourth? Have you considered the fact that possibly down the road, that thing's going to be there? Well, if you don't choose not to take the flu shot, oh no, it's invalid. You can't go in there anymore. Have you considered that they'll just add other things to that thing of this is what you can and can't do with that? Have have you thought of the fact that maybe down the road it's like, oh, you didn't pay your speeding fine. Well, now you can't go to the grocery store. And we will have really given away control over something. Do you see? Can you see? Could you see that that was even a possibility? And something like that could never happen. I'd encourage you to look up what's happening in Israel right now because it's exactly what's happening. But we don't see we have eyes to see. And I know you might be upset at me. And somebody like, why are you being political? I'm not being political. This is about your life. This is about your life. Eyes that are distracted. Eyes that are deceived. And, and that are just, yeah, deceived. And finally, this, this, the third one, denial. Denial, this, this thing where others can see things. And they tell you about things they see. And you just say, oh, I choose, choose not to see them. I don't want to admit that they're, that they're there. You know, when I was uh, trucking, um, I had my AZ trucking license. They would always remind you, check your blind spots. Because they're massive. When you drive a truck, when you drive a car, you have them. But when you drive a truck, they're massive. And in our lives, our, our blind spots in our life are massive. And you know, sometimes people will come in and say, hey, I see these things happening in your life that you don't see. I see it in your relationships. I see it in your parenting. I see it in the way you're spending money. I see these blind spots. You don't see them. But they have massive danger uh, wrapped up in them. And then to just go and say, oh, you know, no, no. I, I, I think it's okay. I don't see the blind spots. I don't see the red flags. It's okay. It's okay. 
It doesn't mean they're not there and it doesn't mean they're not dangerous. It just simply means that maybe you have eyes that see, but you don't really see. Cherish the friendships in your life. We'll point those out to you. And you know, those are the things that happen in our life. But even more importantly, I think what, what John and what Jesus was saying through John to these churches is, do you see what's happening in the spiritual realm right now? Can you see what's happening in the spirit? Because in the spirit right now, there's a war going on. It's never stopped. It is the war of good versus evil. It's the war of light versus darkness. It is the war for the salvation of the souls of this earth. It is the war for your mind. It is the war for your soul. And it's going on in a realm that you don't see with these eyes. But it is no less real. I saw this amazing quote from Charles Spurgeon today. It says this, Consider how precious a soul must be when both God and the devil are after it. It just hit me like, man, am I considering how precious the souls of people are? That God and the devil are both after it. Man, that's the mission. That's what we're on here. Do you see why we're on the planet? Do you see why we've been called for such a time as this, as we spoke about last week? You know, Jesus' reminder to the churches who are made up of disciples. So to the churches then and to the churches now was to have ears that would hear and understand. He's like, you have ears, but do you hear and do you understand? And he would actually give warnings. And we'll see over the next couple of weeks. He gives warnings to the, to the different churches. He says to, the, to, the, to a number of them, things are not as they appear. You assume or you think that things are going like this in your church and you're gathering in, in your Jesus following group, but they are not what they appear to be. To the church in Laodicea, he says, it's flat out. He's like, you guys think you can see, but you are blind. You are blind. You think you're rich, but you are poor. You don't understand. He says to the, to the, to the churches in Pergamum and Thyatira, he's like, you guys think you're hearing teaching. And it's like, whoa, this teaching's amazing. He says, and you don't realize they're false prophets and they are leading you to death. And the warning comes out. Now, what's Jesus saying to the churches today? Because if those churches just, just, you know, 60 years after Jesus left the planet are in those places, man, how much more possible is it for us to be in those places as well? And to learn, this is what, if this is what Jesus was for back then, he's for it today. And if this is what he was against back then, he is still against it today. And if this is a warning he would give to those he loved back then, this is the warning he gives to those he loves today. Do you have ears to hear? Do I have ears to hear? What the Spirit of the Lord is saying to us and to the churches. Why does it matter? Because that second word we looked at. He said, anyone, anyone with ears to hear can listen and understand. But he says this, whoever is victorious. Whoever is also inclusive and exclusive. Whoever means like whoever. You, me, anybody, your neighbor. It, there's no um, male, female, child, race, um, slave, free, boss, employee. It doesn't matter. And whoever, whoever, he says, is victorious. That's the one who receives the promise, whoever's victorious, which is also exclusive in the fact that it says that there are going to be people who are not part of the whoever. They're not part of the ones who receive the promise. They're not the ones who remain, who remain victorious. You know, it's not like our generation where we used to, like, when there were sports, you just, oh, we give a trophy for participation. As long as you tried, you get one. And, John, and Jesus, through John, is saying that that's not how this works. The ones who are victorious, the ones who overcome, get the promise. You don't overcome, you don't get the promise. You, you, you get nothing. And this is worrying. It's why it was so direct that he says to them, we say, well, what does it mean to be victorious? I'm glad you asked, because the word means he who overcomes. He who is victorious, he who conquers. And it's just, you know, in the Blue Letter Bible, you can read the description of it. It says this, the, the Christian or the Jesus follower who holds fast to their faith. 
This is what it means to be victorious. The Jesus follower who holds fast to their faith, even unto death against the powers of their foes, against temptation and against persecution. The Jesus followers who hold fast to their faith, this confident trust in Christ, no matter what. That was the warning. That's what he was saying to the churches. This is what he says to the churches today. Hold fast. Hold fast to your salvation. Hold fast to your savior, to your confident trust in him, no matter what. Because the ones who let go lose. And he says the ones who hold on and are victorious right up to the point of death. He says they're the ones who receive it. You know, I wonder that gospel message that, that, that we've had so many times, you know, presented in our North American culture has caused people to, 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 to fade away from being victorious. I mean, if you're alive, there's still hope. But if you believe the gospel that, oh, if you just say a prayer, you know, and accept Jesus in your life, well, you get to go to heaven. It's all good. You just do whatever you want from now until then. That's not the gospel. For some, you heard the gospel message. It was like, oh, God's got good plans for your life. If you just follow him, he'll make your life better. He'll fix all the problems. And that's not the gospel. The problem with that is that that faith or that trust is built on a God who doesn't let bad things happen to good people. Well, that God doesn't exist. And that's not the God of the Bible. The God who doesn't let bad things happen to good people is not the God who actually let some really bad things happen to the best person who ever lived on a cross nearly 2,000 years ago. That's the God who's, who's speaking to the churches at that point saying, hold on to the truth of the good news. Why? Because there's going to be tests. You know, I see people who's, who they believe that gospel. And then when, when bad things happen, their faith is shaken. You know, they're angry at God. They, they don't want to even reach out to God. It's like their confident trust in him is so shaken. And this is the warning to them. It's the one who holds on to him in spite of all is the one who's victorious in the end. Why? Because there's going to be tests. There's going to be trials. There's going to be problems. There's going to be persecution. Some you brought on yourself. Some is totally out of your control. It's just happening to you. But his message to you is hold on. Why? Because it matters to the ones who hold on. They are the ones who receive the promise. You know, for some, their faith, your, your, your understanding of God has been based on circumstance and experience. Sometimes both, sometimes, you know, one or the other. For instance, you know, basing, a, basing your faith on experience. It was like you went to camp when you were a kid and you sat around a campfire and they, they played some songs and you felt God, uh, you, you, you were sure he existed because you felt him. You felt his presence and you had goosebumps. Maybe you cried. Maybe, you know, whatever it was. Maybe it was just the AC was a little cranked inside the building where you were. And you felt like that chill going up your spine. You thought it was God. You're like, oh, I believe there's a God. Or maybe you had a religious experience or like a near-death experience. Like, I should have died, but I didn't. So there must be a God. And that's kind of been, you know, that's been your, your, your gospel is, like, well, I believe there's a God. And then when tough things happen, it's like, well, I don't know if there is. I don't know if there's a God because I, I and, and many, you, you've been in church for years. It's like, well, I just don't feel his presence. And this thought that because I don't feel his presence, you think he's not present. And you just, you're totally unaware of who God is. He is so huge and magnificent and omnipresent that regardless of whether you feel his presence or not, he is here. There's nowhere you can go where he's not. But he didn't call you into a relationship with feelings. It's not the kind of love he's all about. He called you into a relationship with him, with who he is. It'd be like me saying right now, oh, I can't, you know, I can't see Beth and I can't feel her, her arms around me. I don't think we're in a relationship anymore. And if she's watching, she'd be like, you moron, of course we are. You know, as soon as you get home, I'll remind you, we're married. <laughs> right? That relationship isn't severed just because I don't have the feelings. 
But for too many, that's what your faith was based on. And he's like, that's not going to hold up. That's not the kind of thing you're going to hold on to. There's got to be something deeper than that. For some, it's based on circumstances. Your faith was based on, oh, I was about to lose my job and I prayed a prayer and then I got to keep my job. Or, oh, I, you know, I had this, this um, health scare. Or like, oh no, I thought she was pregnant and so I prayed. And, oh, he answered, she's not pregnant. It's like, oh, thank goodness there's a God. And it was circumstances like that that you went through and, and, and then all of a sudden down the road, when circumstances changed, you lost that job you thought he gave you. You know, all of a sudden the prayer that you prayed wasn't answered the way you thought it was going to be. And that, you know, you prayed for healing and it didn't happen. And now it's like, you said that thought of, oh, uh, I don't know if God really exists or if he does. I don't know if he's good. And it's based on the circumstance. Those thoughts are like, well, if God was really with me, I wouldn't be in this situation. Now, I know we all feel like that. We all feel like that when we go through tough stuff. Man, if God was really with me, <laughs> I wouldn't be in this situation. The problem is I just don't see that in the Bible. I just don't. You know, I begin to read, and I'm like Joseph in prison. He probably would have thought the same thing. Well, God must not be with me. Look where I am. He was just talking too soon. Read the rest of his story. David, you know, being chased by his own kid trying to kill him, may have thought, oh, God, if you were with me, I wouldn't be in this situation. But you got to fast forward to the rest of the story and see what happens with him. Daniel in a lion's den. Kings, um, you know, David being chased by King Saul as well. Elijah sitting in a desert wondering if he's going to starve. God, I don't know if you're going to be with me, but you don't hear any of them say that. No, this is confident trust that, you know what, God, my life is yours and, and I'm here for your glory. And if I'm in this situation now, it doesn't change whether you are with me or not with me. David writes psalms to himself just to remind himself. He'd sing to himself, soul, why are you so downcast? Put your hope in the Lord. <laughs> you know, you look at the New Testament, you see the same thing. The boys in the boat with Jesus, they're in the storm like, oh, if Jesus was here. And they're like, no, he's here. He's just in the bottom of the boat. And they go down there like, wake him up, Jesus, you're going to let us die. He's like, fellas, all I got to do is say a word and I'll just do it. Boom, storm's over. Oh, but God, if you were with us, we wouldn't be in these storms. Or God, if you were with us, we, we wouldn't be in the stocks in prison like Paul and Silas were. God, if you were with us, Stephen may have said, they wouldn't be throwing stones at my head to kill me right now. God, if you were in this. But as we read the scripture and we see that God was in it, God had never left them. God had never forsaken them. Their trust was in him right up until <laughs> they stepped into eternity. And even Paul, I leave with this verse. Paul wrote this, the man who wrote most of the New Testament. Even Paul, the guy whose faith was so strong that, man, if anything he could believe for, you know, God, God would believe for a perfect life. He, here's what he wrote, Philippians chapter 4, verse 12. He's like, I know how to live on almost nothing. Or with everything. Wait a second, Paul, what do you mean? You, how, you shouldn't have been living with nothing. You're a faith man. No, no, he says, no, no, I've learned how to live on, on almost nothing. I've learned how to live with everything. I've learned the secret of living in every situation, whether it's with a full stomach or an empty one, with plenty or little. See, most people don't read that, but they read the next one. What does Paul say? He says, for I can do everything through Christ who gives me the strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's, you know, usually we find that on a coffee mug. And when I looked it up, I'd uh, see, is that, is that on a coffee mug? It sure was. And I found about a hundred different mugs of variations of it that I could buy. It's like, you know, people have seen this verse and taken it out of context all the time. They're sitting there with their coffee and like, oh, I got my driver's test coming up. I don't know if I can do it, but nope, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I'll take a shot. You know, and it's like, then it's like, oh, I don't know if I can ask that girl out. And like, well, but I got my mug. You know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Ugh, I don't think I can really butcher chickens. Oh, it's disgusting. But maybe I just need two cups of coffee. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. 
And then things get tough and all of a sudden they forget the mug. I can't do this anymore. Paul wasn't saying you can do all things in the way that we've thought. He was saying, listen, you can do, you can survive through little, through plenty. You can survive through storms. You can survive through sunny shores. You can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He's like, man, I've learned how to live on all, in any, it doesn't matter what happens to me. I've learned how to live because I trust his strength in me. Trust his strength in me. And so I leave you this. Jesus' word to the churches was anyone. Anyone who has ears and hears and understands, they've got the chance to listen to the Spirit and what he's saying to the church today. Man, I pray that's us. Man, I pray that's you. Are you one of the anyones? And then even more so, I pray this, that whoever, whoever is victorious, he says, man, they're, they're going to have their names in the Lamb's Book of Life. They're going to be pillars in the temple of our God. They're going to be the ones who give it a new name. There's all kinds of things. Read through it. It's, it's brilliant. Revelation 2 and 3. Do you have a faith, true faith, a true trust in Christ is going to stand through tough times? Because if you don't, now's the time to get that. And I leave you with this. You know, a, a faith, a true trust in Christ is based on truth if it's going to last. The one that lasts, I should say, is based on truth. It's based on truth. Experience and circumstance, they may confirm the truth, but they are not the truth in themselves. You may experience the presence of Jesus as, you, as his follower, and you're like, wow, I, I had this incredible feelings and sensation of God with me. That may confirm the truth, but that isn't the truth. Because there's going to be moments where you don't feel him, and it's no less true that his presence is with you. You know, circumstantially, you'd be like, man, I prayed and God answered my prayer. And it's that circumstance. And you're like, yeah, that confirms the truth. But it's not the truth in and of itself. Because there's going to be times where you pray and you pray and you pray and you pray. And he says, no. That does not change the fact that he is good. And it does not change the fact that your trust in him, your confident trust in him is worth having and, and, and secure. You see, the gospel, I don't know if you've ever heard the phrase, the gospel truth. People would say things, you know, tell a story and be like, and that's the gospel truth. You know where it came from? The 1300s is where that idiom began. It's like, if, if you wanted to, to, to validate something you said, you would say, this is the gospel truth. Meaning, it is as undeniably true as the gospel. And I wonder if we still recognize that the gospel is undeniably true. We don't need to add on all the bells and whistles to it. In and of itself, it is power to save so Paul wrote to the Corinthians, he's like, the message across might seem like foolishness, but preach it because it is the power of God to save. It is the power of God to save. You know, the, uh, the truth is this, that God created a perfect world. You know how we know it? Because we know it's broken. You don't know something's broken unless something inside you tells you that it, it should have been a different way. We see it all around us. We see death, we see pain, we see hurt. And we're like, that's not fair. That shouldn't be. Who says that's not fair? Or that shouldn't be. Well, we know inside, well, it should be better than that because we, uh, we have perfection left in us. At least the, 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 the image of it, the, that, the desire for it. And then if we look around, we realize, yeah, it's all broken. And, and what we don't often realize is what broke it. And that thing that broke it's called sin. It's like sin is those, has, a, has a gotcha. Every time we choose to sin, it has death tied to it. You know, you look at that thing on the internet, you cheat on your taxes, you go too fast on the highway, you say something, you know, to your wife, whatever that sin may be, it's got a gotcha. And it, it, it's got death, but it's bigger than that. We aren't just sinners because we sin. We're sinners because of who we are. We're completely broken. We cannot fix ourselves. That's the truth. Yeah, we want to fix and fix and fix, but we can't. Broken can't fix broken. And when you get to that realization, 
begin to realize, oh, this is a little bit hopeless, and then it gets worse. Then we realize that there's a, a, um, a penalty for sin, a death penalty that has to be paid. The righteous judge of the whole earth, he's not righteous if he doesn't punish sin. And now we sit here and go, snap, I've broken things. I'm broken. I got to try and fix it, and I can't. And if I don't get it fixed in time, there's a death penalty waiting for me? That's bad news. And the only way that a righteous judge can condemn sin and save the sinner is that he sends a substitute. Sends someone else to go and say, I'll take the sin for them. Someone who's committed no sin to take the sin of some other. That's what he did on a cross 2,000 years ago. As Jesus hung on that cross, he held my sin in his hands and, 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 and on his back. And he holds your sin there as well. He paid for it all. And he offers that salvation to you. The salvation where you say, Jesus, I trust it's you alone. It's not my good works. It's, not, it's, not, it's nothing else that I can do. <laughs> well, you know, the eyewitness followers of Jesus, they saw and they heard that and they watched with joy as he rose from the dead and conquered death. And he offered that salvation to them and to us and no other salvation. There isn't any. There's no other way. I, I know you probably wish there could be something else, but it's not. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. You can't go to church enough to get it. You can't do anything. It's simply saying, Jesus, I just trust you. I trust you, and I'm just going to hold on to that till the day I die. That confident trust in the gospel, the salvation, the good news. I'll leave you with one last story to hopefully cement that into your mind today and into your heart, that you respond to that. You know, for many, we've been sold the gospel, the good news as a parachute. Like being on a plane, as you hop on the plane, you're sitting down in your seat and the, the stewardess walks along and she says, hey, would you, uh, would you like a parachute? And you're like, no, I think I'm good. And she's like, no, no, take this parachute. It'll make your journey that much more comfortable. It's going to make it so much better. You're going to enjoy it more if you have a parachute on. You know, everybody else around here, they all, they've all put on a parachute at one time or another and you should put on this parachute. And you're like, okay, fine. If it's going to make my life better, if it's going to make my flight better, I'll take it. And you put the parachute on and you sit back in your seat. And now all of a sudden your face is up against the tray and, you know, it's really uncomfortable. You can't get the seatbelt on. You can't barely breathe. And you're like, this parachute's not comfortable. And you say, I'm taking it off and tossing it. And then all of a sudden, you know, the, she picks it up and she walks back to you and she quietly whispers in your ear. She's like, listen, I probably should have told you this. The pilot just let us know that we've only got enough fuel to make it halfway. There's not a runway in range anywhere. We've only got a limited supply of parachutes and this sucker's going down guaranteed. The only way you live is if you take this parachute and if you keep it on to the point where we run out of fuel and are about to hit the ground and you jump out at that point and put your trust in this parachute to take you safely down to the ground. All of a sudden, I'm like, I'll put that parachute back on. I don't care if it's in my face. I don't care if it's not comfortable. I don't care if it's not convenient. I don't care if everyone else thinks I'm the stupidest person in the world for flying with this parachute. I found my Savior and I'm going to hold on to him no matter what. Is that the kind of overcoming faith that you have? And I pray that you do. And it's quite simple tonight. It's this. If you heard the words of this message tonight and you understand it got to you. It got to your heart. Then you are who Jesus said. You're the ones who hear and you understand. And now you have that choice to say, okay, I get it. Jesus, I put my trust in you. I leave my old life behind. I'm, I'm taking you 
into, into my life and I'm giving you my life. I'm trusting your salvation. I'm going to follow you for the rest of my life. They, I don't care what I'm losing. I know what I'm gaining and I will hold on to it no matter what. Well, that doesn't sound like the sinner's prayer. It doesn't have to. <laughs> it will save you for eternity. And I pray today that as Jesus followers, that stirring up of the gospel in you gives you the ability and opportunity to share that with others who need to hear it. Can we pray together? Heavenly Father, thank you for tonight. Thank you for the opportunity to share your truth, to seek out your word, to allow it just to, uh, to, to, to grab at our hearts. Thank you, thank you, thank you for your goodness and your righteousness, for your justice. But thank you also for your mercy and your love and your grace. Thank you for saving people like me. Thank you that it's not just about me, it's about any person. And I pray, Father, that there's people listening today. They would just, wherever they are right now, just reach out simply to you and say, Jesus, I, I trust you. I don't know all the answers yet, but, uh, but I, I trust you. God, would you save them? Would you save them, I pray. And I pray for my brothers and sisters, the ones who've gone through some difficulties in the last little while who may face even greater difficulty ahead down the road. Father, I pray that we would truly experience the truth of your word as we hold on to you. That we receive every promise that you've promised us in this life and in eternity. I give you praise for it. You are incredible. It's in your beautiful name that I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, I've got a few uh, discussion questions. You might not even need them. Uh, you might just start at what jumped out at you today and you're off. That'd be great. Encourage if you're watching with a group today, take some time and sit down and just go over these things. Talk with one another. I love being part of our small groups uh, and our home churches because I have the opportunity to, to learn and grow from you. And, and I'm looking forward to that this weekend. But here's the, um, here's the questions. What jumped out at you today? Second, what things uh, shake your faith or make you doubt? What are the things that, that happen in your life and in your world? You're like, oh, that, that shakes me. Because it's revealing something. It's revealing something. So, and third, uh, do you think that you'll be considered victorious someday? When you stand before him, will he say, yeah, you're the one. You're victorious. You held on. Do you think that that's what's going to happen? And uh, why or why not? And then finally, are you able to share the gospel truth with others? Have you, have you studied to know what the gospel message is? That you can share it truthfully with other people. Because it truly is a message of the cross. And not just saves us, but saves the world. So looking forward to, uh, to whatever this week may bring. We'd love to hear from you. If you, something is heard tonight and you're like, man, I got to talk to him about it, please feel free to give me a call, shoot me an email. I'd love to discuss things further. Uh, just know that Kingsway family and friends from uh, east to west and right here locally, I love you guys and uh, here with you and for you. So have a great week.